The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. At that time, John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. And we try to prevent him because he does not follow us. Jesus replied, Do not prevent him. There is no one who performs a mighty deed in my name, who can at the same time speak ill of me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Anyone who gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ, amen, I say to you, will surely not lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were put around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed than with two hands to go into Gehenna, into the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life crippled than with two feet to be thrown into Gehenna. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into Gehenna. Where their worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, everybody. Praise God. Oh, it's good to see everybody. So just a few housekeeping before we dive into these amazing readings. I'm really excited to talk about this next topic. It's always a great topic to talk about. I'm sure it'll interest you. But uh, so officially, the shelter closed on Friday. If you remember, we've been, we've been open, gosh, we're open for, what, for about a month and a half long. And so the shelter was officially closed on Friday. And the Red Cross folks were telling me now they're shifting I haven't been paying attention to fire news because I'm so sick and tired of hearing about fires. But there's another fire, I guess, in Reading area. They're telling me and they're going to go open another center there for those poor people. But uh, again, again, a heartwarming thank you on behalf of all the clients and the Red Cross volunteers. We became the talk of the Red Cross system, by the way. Everybody knew about Holy Family Parish because they loved the They said it was the most... It was the most amazing, one of the most amazing experiences that they had as far as shelters, because shelters tend to be a very dreary, kind of sad place. But they loved our parish because all the parishioners that were helping, and uh, of course, the holiest priest in California was there all the time. So they loved it. But seriously, the clients and the volunteers, they were utterly thankful. They kept, that's all they kept doing. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all your parishioners and all that you've done. For us, it was, uh, it was an amazing experience during that difficult period of their lives. Because again, those that were there, they lost their homes. And so our, our parish became a 
a safe place for them to begin the next process of uh, their next stage of their lives. So it was amazing. One cool story it was a uh, so on Friday as we were closing up the shelter, one of the volu- one of the clients, as we call them, came up to me and said, "Father, uh, great news! I got an apartment at the senior apartments in Portola, and I got a place there. There was a waiting list there. It was amazing, but I have no furniture because there's nothing." And I said, "Father, uh, I have no furniture. Said so if anything you can do to help." I said, "Okay, we'll see what we can do. I don't know what where I'm going to find furniture. Father. Who knows?" But I said, well, "We'll see what we can do." Same day, phone rings. Get a call from a lady from Plumas Pines. Father, I am moving to a brand new house, which is fully furnished. I have an old house full of furniture. Could you use furniture for any chance? <laughs> yes, I can. And so we loaded up. We got prisoners. We got three truckloads of furniture. We went to the senior apartments in Portola, knocked on the door. Kevin, behold, <laughs> you got your furniture. <laughs> and we moved them in yesterday. You should have seen the look on Kevin's face. Absolutely, just, just, just an overabundance of grace flowing over him. So God, I said, it's all God, man. It's all God. Praise God who always provides for us. He never leaves us. Always remember that. Because I know our world always puts you down or whatever. He's just down. God is always in control. And he gives us little moments like that. You should have seen his face. He was just like, what the heck? He's understanding. Praise Jesus Christ. Told him. That's not my homily. <laughs> now we get in. I just want to share the beautiful news. So again, thank you for all that you did. A month and a half. We were a shelter, so praise God. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I've been a priest now for praise the Lord for over ten years. Only on two occasions anyone's ever walked out of my mass because of something I said during a homily. And the second occasion occurred last Easter, if you remember the Easter homily. Because during Easter, that's when you have your, your Catholics that come to mass twice a year, you know, Easter and Christmas. You, know, you don't see them disappear, but they pop up like a mushroom out of nowhere. And they're like, hey, <laughs> thank you for coming. Praise God. Or even those who aren't even Catholic just kind of wander in because they, they know that Easter means Christianity and you got to do something on Christianity, so you got to go to church, right? And so this day I've never seen before. It's in the very front. This is in Portola. Smiling, happy, Easter time. Until I opened my mouth. <laughs> I see her, her entire body just, just shift. She was angry. Because you remember from last Easter, I preached about hell. And I can tell. She said, oh, hell. Because again, this goes against our modern contemporary ethos. We don't like talking about hell. And when one started talking about it, she got up very angrily, grabbed her bag, made a scene, and just stormed out. Because if I were going, to, going into a room of 100 people today, presuming that they're all believers, I'd say, raise your hand, all of you who think you're going to go to heaven. I bet the vast majority of those hands would be, I'm, I'm going to heaven. How many of you didn't go to hell? Nobody probably raised their hand. Because today we presume that we're all going to go to heaven. If you ask somebody why, oh, because I'm not a bad person. As if doing good things is the prerequisite to get into heaven. But that's what we're told. Remember our Lord himself said that the road to heaven 
is narrow. Narrow. Few find it. Strive to enter in, Jesus says. And he says the opposite. The road to destruction is wide. And many, many fall into it. The words of Jesus Christ is the complete opposite of what we're told today. And our Lord is trying to teach this. Jesus is, preaches more about hell than any other person in the entire Bible. It's hard to hear that, do we? Jesus speaks more about hell than anybody else. But how do we wrap our minds around it? Because oftentimes, especially for non-believers, say, how can a loving God send people to hell? So how can we penetrate this great mystery of this topic of hell? And I think one way is to go back to this concept which we've been talking about for the past couple weeks. And it is this. Again, not my fist. What is this? The human heart. So think about the human heart now. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. This human heart of ours is created in the image and likeness of God. Meaning, you and I are created for a relationship with the triune, eternal creator, heavenly father, God. This is what the human heart is designed for. But what happens with Adam and Eve? They reject the Lord. And so now this human heart of ours, which was created for him, now has this gap in it. Enter Genesis chapter 4. Cain and Abel, what happens? We see the direct result of this rejection. What happens? We fill this gaping hole. We put all our energy into the endless pursuit of money, honor, power, pleasure. That's what we replace it with. The worldly things. And it is here of this endless pursuit, which again, we all battle with this. The second reading today, I always chuckle when this reading comes in because you see how, the old, how, how confident James is here. He's poking fun at people who love their wealth, their honor, power, their pleasure themselves more than anything else. He's poking fun at them. Listen to the words and I'll quote again. Oh, James. Mocking. He says, come now, you rich. Come. Weep and wail over your impending miseries. Your wealth? Rot it away. Your clothes, moth-eaten. Your gold and silver, which you loved so much, huh? Corroded. And that corrosion will be a testimony against you. It will devour your flesh like a fire. You stored up treasure for the last days. Again, he's speaking about this person. Again, this is all part of it, speaking to all of us who put our endless pursuit, not things of the Lord now, but rather things of the world to accumulate massively. Because again, what, what is the trap we all fall into? I'm better than you if I have more stuff, if I look better. I'm better than you. Look at all my, what I've accumulated. And James is poking fun at that attitude we have. He says, okay, come with your wealth. He's speaking about the last days. Because when we stand before judgment, when we all die, none of that matters. None of it. All that which we've put our entire energy and effort into. 
We stand equal before the rich and powerful and beautiful. None of that gets you any closer in the line. And so the Lord now, taking this reality of the human heart, this stubborn human heart of ours, and he speaks powerfully in the reading in the gospel today, speaking about, and he's trying to, he's very, being very stark here. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Your foot, chop it off. He's trying to tell us to really hammer home and underscore. Let nothing stand in the way of your inheritance. This heart, which is like a car out of alignment. You ever driven a car that's not in alignment? You should try to drive straight. What happens? Let go of the wheel. He wants to drift. That's the human heart, which was created to go straight to heaven, but it's out of alignment, and so it sees ah, money. Right. Oh, pleasure. Ah, pleasure. Right. It constantly wants to veer through all the classical substitutes of the Lord, but it's not made for it. And so it constantly gets in the way of our relationship with God. And so our Lord is saying, trying to hammer home, prefer nothing to a relationship with me, which your heart is created. Because if, again, if you remember, notice the movements of your human heart. It is always restless here. If this human heart would be content with money, power, honor, pleasure, then those who have the most will always be the example of happiness and joy and peace. Are they? Actually, they're actually the most miserable. Where do you find the most content, the most joyful? Oftentimes, it's in your poorest countries. Mother Teresa famously said, who worked in the deepest slums of humanity all throughout the world, said, the deepest poverty wasn't found in some middle of nowhere place in the middle of Africa. says, no. So the deepest poverty she ever encountered was here in the West. Because this type of poverty we have here is not material poverty. You see, the poverty in, in the poorest countries, it's easy, to, it's easy to satiate. It's give them bread, something to drink. They're happy. Here, he says, that the poverty is much, much deeper. It's a poverty of the spirit. It's a poverty of love here, which is not easily rendered. Human heart is not created for those things. And so to hammer this home, notice what Jesus does here with the apostles. And here again, this is utterly important for us to look at the scripture through the lens of a first century Jew. Our Lord uses a specific word here. Three times he says, it is better for you to enter maimed or blind or crippled into heaven rather than to, to go into Gehenna. What is Gehenna? Because for, for us, we hear Gehenna, we're like, what does that mean? But for the first century Jew, they all understood what that meant. Because remember, every practicing Jew was required to visit Jerusalem twice a year. Wherever you live in the empire, you always had a journey all the way down on pilgrimage to Jerusalem twice a year. So everybody knew the topography and the geography of the city. So to kind of give us an idea. So Jerusalem is built on a hill. It's on a hill. It's a walled city as ancient cities were built in those days. And on the north part of the city of Jerusalem is the only way you can enter in. That is where invading armies would always attack Jerusalem from the north. 
Because the other three sides, west, south, and east, there was a deep valley. And an invading arm would never attack from a valley because, because the enemy has a higher ground. And remember, in military strategy, you have the higher ground, you have the advantage. And so, Jerusalem surrounded by three sides on a deep valley. Gehenna was a real place. It was just south of the city, right below the, the southern wall there in that valley. And here in this valley, kind of again, to give you an idea of it, remember the Garden of Gethsemane? That's where, remember, our Lord prayed before he was arrested. The Garden of Gethsemane is east in Jerusalem. And there's a beautiful Catholic church there now. When we go on pilgrimage there, um, we're in the middle of planning, in the early stages of planning a pilgrimage there. I hope we can all go. Because when you see this, all of these sites in the, in the sacred scriptures, immediately like, ah, I've been there before. And it will change the way you view scripture. It will deepen your faith. So Gethsemane is on the east of Jerusalem, known as the Kidron Valley. From the Garden of Gethsemane, you can see Gehenna. It's just, it's just a few hundred yards away. So you can actually see. So our Lord could have seen it when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gehenna, before it became a Jewish city, Jerusalem, it was, the people that lived there were known as the Canaanites. And the Canaanites worship, one of their deities was a god named Melech. And in Gehenna, this place in the southern part of the city of Jerusalem, this is where the Canaanites would worship this god Melech. And all kinds of debauchery, all kinds of horrific human cultish behavior happened in Gehenna. This is where they would offer their children to the god of Melech. So they would, look, they would take their children... And, and as an offering to this God, they would kill them there in Gehenna. So Gehenna was a place of blood-soaked death. Thousands upon thousands of children were sacrificed in Gehenna. And so now when the Jews come and conquer the city, they wanted nothing to do with Gehenna. Nobody wanted to live there or to build there because of this history of worshiping Melech. And so instead, they dumped their garbage and their raw sewage in Gehenna. And they constantly, as we all know, because Jerusalem's not that big of a city, so they constantly burned their trash and their sewage in Gehenna. So imagine now, with all that in the background, when Jesus says and speaks about Gehenna, it invokes a place of eternal fire of stench. You ever smelled raw sewage burning before? You ever lived next to a landfill? Imagine it perpetually burning. And it was a place of death. And Jesus here says, hell is like that. Do you see the utter impact this would have had? on the people that Jesus is speaking to. Hell is like this. And then our Lord continues. Twice he says this. Gehenna is a place of unquenchable fire. And then towards the end of the gospel, where fire is not quenched. What's he speaking about here? Fire unquenched. 
Perpetual fire. Unquenchable fire. Not quench. What is he speaking about? Go back to this again. The human heart now. Notice this. This human heart of ours, endowed with and creating God's image and likeness, created for love of Him. We've rejected Him in our lives, and so we go after the easy, worldly things. But it's always frustrated, isn't it? Because it's not created for those things. Always remember that. But now imagine, if we choose not God in our lives for eternity. Because what heaven is, heaven is a perpetual choosing of God, right? It's a final place of God where we're living with Him for all eternity, which we're created for. Eternal joy, bliss, peace, love. Every single human desire that you have is ordered towards heaven. Which is why we're always frustrated here on earth because we're, we're never fulfilled here. We're all, the human heart is always anxious here. Which is why we're constantly striving, always looking for more and more and more. That's a sign because we're not created for here. It's created for heaven. But now imagine with the human heart endowed with God's image and likeness, you and I have been given the gift and ability to choose. We have free will. Because remember, love necessitates free will, which you and I have. Because without it, love cannot exist. And so now, notice that if the human heart has the ability to choose, which is God created image and likeness, God says, you're created for me, I want you with me for eternity. What about that person that says, no, thank you. Do you see now why hell is, ne is, is necessary? Because if you don't want to choose God, if I don't want to be with God forever then, he will honor that decision. And so like a parent, he says to us, well, I don't want you. I've done everything possible. What more must I do to convince your human heart to choose me, to live in my commandments, to follow my ways? I've done everything I can for you, humanity. Choose me. I've created for you for me. But then the person that says, no. He will honor that decision. Because God is a gentleman. And God will not force you and I into heaven. Hell follows. And why the fire is unquenchable in hell is because even though we're in hell, I'm still designed for heaven. And that is why the fire will never be quenched. So one, one way, don't help penetrate this. Imagine this. The image came to me in prayer yesterday. Imagine being in a jail cell in a barred jail cell. And just outside of arm's length, there's a delicious, mouth-watering, juicy steak. Huh? Just dripping with butter and garlic. Sitting there, delicious, right there. And that smell of it, right? Oh, it smells so good. Because you're starving, right? And, and you're desiring that steak, but it's just out of sort of arm's reach. And for all eternity, you're trying to reach that steak. You're trying to grab it because you're starving. And the person who can't get to it, you begin to get angry. Because all of your desires, all of your longing is for that. But you can't get it. And then now what happens, because you're eternally frustrated and you can't get it, you'll begin to hate the person who put that steak there. Like, why did you put that steak there? I can't get it. 
And then now the anger and the frustration comes. That are those why people in hell are already described as eternally frustrated. Or look at the demons. Why do the demons hate God? Same thing. Because angels, like us, were created for God. But like us, they have free will and they've made their decision. And they say famously, in the words of Satan, who has been echoed all throughout eternity, non serviam, I will not serve you, Lord. So they choose not him. And they're eternally frustrated because now that which they are created for, like you and I, can never be realized. And so they hate the person who put that desire into them. Do you see the eternal frustration that happens? I'm created for you, God, but I don't want you. And so we go after everything else. And then I'm angry because the desire is never quenched. So imagine that state for eternity. Gehenna. Hell. Or in the words of the gospel, where worm does not die and fire is not quenched. This line comes from Isaiah, the last chapter, where worm does not die. What do worms do? Worms are the result of corruption. They corrupt things, which are perpetual dying. This line here, where worm does not die, you see how now our Lord is saying hell is like being an eternal state of corruption. Because the human heart which you are created for God has now been frustrated, which we chose. And you ask yourself, why would anybody choose that? It's utterly irrational, which is why sin is irrational. What Lucifer did and his fallen angels did, totally irrational. And the only explanation is that is because they love themselves more. They've chosen, they've taken this human heart of theirs and said, I love myself more than anything else. How do we get to heaven now is the question. He asked Jesus the same question, Lord, how do we follow you? How do we get there? Jesus gives us the answer. Do you remember in John? You want to know how to get to heaven? All right, I'll tell you. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. It's Jesus Christ. And prefer nothing else to him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.